Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Restore podcast. My name is Javier, and I am your host. We are glad to be back after a couple months off during this uh, summer. And during that time off, I do appreciate that the podcast has continued to grow. People continue to listen. And so we are so appreciative of those that um, have been listening and also are sharing the episodes. On today's episode, we have Pastor Kimon Hines from Journey Fellowship Church. He is a church planner, has just written a book called This Is Church, Where You Fit In, and also hosts his own podcast that you'll hear about um, in our conversation. I've been wanting to have him on the show for some time on the Restore podcast, um, and I'm so glad that he has decided to take of his time and beyond. So I think you will find this conversation helpful and useful to your ministry, just to life in general, listening to him. And so I appreciate his openness, willingness, and transparency. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Kimon Hines. I want to welcome Pastor Kimon Hines to the Restore podcast. Welcome, Kimon. Hey, thanks for having me, Javier. Great to be on. Absolutely, man. Thank you for taking up your busy schedule and having this great conversation that I have been looking forward to having you for some time on the podcast, believe it or not. And um, I, I just, after this little break that we took in the summer, um, you, you are the first one for, I guess, this new uh, season. So we're delighted to have you. And we have a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, Kimon, cool. for, for those that, that may not know who you are, uh, tell us a little bit about how your uh, trajectory from you know, growing up to where you are now as a pastor. Okay, cool. Well, um, you'll, you'll hear this throughout the podcast. I have an accent. So I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. All right. Um, after two years, my family moved back to Trinidad. That's where my parents are from. Um, that's where our family roots are. That's where I grew up. Uh, that's where I grew up for most of my young life until I was 18 years old. Well, right around the time when I was finishing high school, you have to make that decision. What am I going to study in college? What am I going to major in? What do I want to be? Okay. Um, I had different thoughts in my mind, engineering, different things. And it came to a point of spiritual awakening for me. Hmm. And I felt at that time, I want to be a pastor. Hmm. That, that was my first um, inkling, first tug on my heart for anything like professional ministry. And right around that time, um, a well-meaning person in my life discouraged me from it because they, they told me something that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, pastors don't make money. <laughs> um, hey, as an 18-year-old, that, that, you know, when you hear that they don't make money, that usually tends to kind of steer you back away from it. Sure. I'm sure you recognize that. It is the truth. They told me the truth. Absolutely. So... I went off to college and I studied something called actuarial science. This is going to be something someone can use in a trivia question. Actuarial science is the study of um, risk, calculating risk, mm-hmm. understanding how to deal with it. So I was one of the persons who helps you to price your life insurance and to price different things. And I did that for four years of college. Really? Um, four, four, four years? Wow. Yeah, did college four years, graduated with that degree. Worked for one year out of college as an actuary, and it was the most miserable year of my life. <laughs> now, was, I'm going to interject here one second because 
I've actually met somebody who has studied and is perhaps currently working on or almost done to become an actuary. So really? you're the second person in my okay. entire life that I have heard that I've actually met that uh-huh. has studied to be an actuary and wants to and worked in your case and in the case of the individual I'm talking about, he is um, looking forward to working as an actuary. So yes, this is a trivia question, but I actually do know what an actuary is through the first yeah. individual that I met. Um, because before that, to be honest, I really didn't know what an actuary was in full transparency. Yeah. So anyways, I just had to throw that out there. Go ahead. So you, you worked for one yeah. year as an actuary. Is a, mm-hmm. It was the worst miserable year of your life in, mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and yeah. Then what? yeah, so I mean, I felt miserable because um, the job is great and the pay is great. Yeah. But I was not operating in my area of calling. Mm-hmm. I was not where, where God wanted me to be. Okay. And I battled with that for that year, thinking, no, I, I need to do something different. Um, and because of that, I think I was experiencing turmoil in other areas of life because I was not aligned with where God wanted me to be. Um, so in the midst, of, towards the end of that year, I made a decision. I was going to leave my job. I was going to go back to school. I was going to train to be a pastor. And I actually thought I needed to go do an undergrad degree in pastoral ministry until a pastor of mine who was actually down in Florida, Valtrix Benz, told me, he was my pastor at the time. He told me I, I didn't have to go start all over again. I can go to seminary. Mm-hmm. So left my job, hmm. uh, moved off to Andrews University and decided to take a whole new route of life. And that's how I ended up in pastoral ministry um, through going through a detour Mm -hmm. away from where I felt God wanted me to be at 18, finding God pulling me back to that same calling after Mm -hmm. I was finished with college. But I will say everything that I learned around along the journey, even going off to school and studying to be an actuary has been valuable to shaping who I am as a person and as a minister. Sure. Well, that's a, that's a big shift going from something that is, um, highly cognitive in its aspect of being an actuary if if you understand if i'm saying that correctly if i'm not please Mm -hmm. feel free to you know to uh tell me otherwise where it's not that being or or jumping into the seminary is not cognitive but there's there's a lot of other components as well um with that if i can say it that way um and so how did how was that transition you know going from uh, again, being an actuary to stepping into seminary. And again, me having that experience of being in seminary, it, it was different even from my undergrad. And I did an undergrad in uh, theology, but going to seminary was a, a different experience, both in to a degree what I studied, which enhanced my uh, personal studies in, of course, in what, I, in what, we, in what we do, uh, mm-hmm. but also the, the atmosphere, right, at seminary. Mm-hmm if I yeah. can say it that way. So how was that transition as you were studying there in the seminary? And um, how did you end up uh, where you're pastoring now in Memphis? Cool. So going into seminary for me was like, um, you know, you, you, you have a desire for something. There was a thirst for me. And I felt I was a little bit different from some of my, some of my contemporaries in seminary. Because they had gone through undergrad theology, and some of this felt like, okay, I've done this before. Right. For me, I had a an appreciation like, wow, this is amazing. I get to study um, the 
background of the Bible. I get to study um, understanding, you know, different books in a deeper way. I get to study how to pastor people. And these were all things I've dr- I dreamt about doing. So I appreciated the seminary experience. Um, and I did find that some of the tools I picked up, not necessarily the, the, the specific knowledge, but the tools I picked up sure. in my old career were applicable to what I was doing at seminary. So it, it just really enhanced what I was doing. Great, great. And how, so did you, yeah, how did you end up in, in Memphis, yeah. a wonderful city, yeah. Memphis, in Tennessee? So Memphis is a detour. I mean, I, I took some detours to get here. So I shouldn't say detours. I made some stops along the way in my journey. Right. Um, I left seminary, went to a small town, but a wonderful church in that small, wonderful town called uh, Charleston, Missouri. It was my first church out of seminary. It was a great family atmosphere, and the Lord allowed us to stay there for two years. Hmm. And after two years, I was asked to come to Kansas City to be our conference youth director. Imagine that. Oh, wow. Two years out of seminary, after not doing undergrad theology, um, and then being asked to be conference youth director. Hmm. And I actually thought when my president called me, if he didn't call from the conference number, I thought it was a prank that a friend of mine was pulling on me because he actually did a very good job of impersonating the president. Um, But I took that assignment and for seven years served uh, the youth and the families of Central States Conference, moving all across the six states in the Midwest. Wow. And then finally got this opportunity to come to Memphis, not just to pastor a church. Um, That's not the reason fully why we left. It was an opportunity to pastor a great congregation while having the opportunity to pursue a dream of planting a new congregation. Okay. Well, this that's perfect. Perfect segue to that to my next question, which uh, with that um, historical background to for you to tell us a little bit about, you know, what has been your journey. And of course, interestingly enough, I'm just going to go ahead and say that your church plant is called the journey, if, if I'm yeah. you know mistaken. So um, so how has that journey been? And uh, so when did you arrive in Memphis? And how has that endeavor, um, how long has that endeavor taken to plant, you know, the journey and your experience through doing that? Yeah. So we arrived in Memphis right around the summer, um, the summer of 2012. So mm-hmm. it's about five plus years that we've been here. Um, journey will be celebrating its second anniversary of having weekly worship gatherings in September of this year. Okay. And it will be three years we, since we started having worship gatherings, period. Um, so five years, there are three years we started having, three years ago, we started having monthly worship services. A year into that, we started going weekly. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm saying that, but I want to say that Journey, when we, Journey started from the moment we moved to Memphis, because for us as a family, it was embracing a new way of living. Hmm. Um. Before, when I lived in Kansas City, as is a confession, mm-hmm. I was a professional spiritual person, hmm. which means that I would um, do all of my spiritual activities in the building. I would tell other people to go win your friends and your family, but I wouldn't. Hmm. I would come to my home. I would raise my garage. I would drive in, stay in my home, watch my entertainment center, and you know, and and I would not engage in the life of people around me. Hmm. But when we moved to Memphis, we moved here with a new way of looking at life. And we even said to our children and as a family that we are missionaries. Hmm. So it meant that we were living as journey. We would 
reach out to our neighbors. We would try to find ways to build relationships. I would start doing things in my community to meet people and to go where they were. And so Journey, even though worship gatherings are two years old, um, three years of public meetings, we actually started as a family living a journey five years ago. Okay. That, that's uh, you, You've said a lot there, a lot of powerful stuff. So you, you said you went from being a, a professional spiritual person to a new way of living. Um, yeah. Let's dig a little bit deeper on that new way of living. And, and uh, the first question I'll ask about that is, is what led you? What was the, was it, was it something God speaking to you in a very personal way? Um, a, uh, a situation, somebody confronting you? What was it that, that, of course, the Holy Spirit, what was it that led you to say, you know, I, I want to stop just being a, a spiritual person that tells people that does this. And then, like you said, um, comes into my house, closes the garage and, and nobody knows who I am in my you know community. And so what led you to this new way of living, a, a whole shift of 2.0? And I think many that will be listening to this um, you know, podcast can, if they're real with themselves, can relate to what you're saying. I certainly can relate in full, trans- in full transparency. So what, what led you to this new way of living that you started back in 2012? Yeah, I think it was probably around 2011 that conviction um, came when I attended a conference um, talk, talking about fresh expressions of church. And I went there with the understanding that I was going to learn some really cool methods of doing um, the entertainment-driven model. Yeah, tell me how to um, do fancy worship gatherings and stuff so that people would show up. Hmm. That was my thought. But there was a guy by the name of Peter Ronfield who is from Australia. And Peter really emphasized the simplicity of creating church along the path of life of embodying what it means to be church, of inviting people into our lives and into our homes and into our spaces and and building bridges. And even though I received that conviction in 2011, like many people probably listening to this, the difficulty for me was I had lived so long in that old pattern that to me would have been weird to, to, to reach out to my neighbors in a neighborhood I'd lived in for six years and to say, hey, I'm your neighbor who's been here for six years. <laughs> so the conviction was there, but I hesitated. But moving to Memphis almost gave me a restart. Okay. Almost gave me a chance to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to be living this way. Here's an opportunity to change the paradigm. So, so let me, let's get into the nitty gritty, if I can mm-hmm. use that uh, old cliche. Mm-hmm. How did, what did that look like? I mean, so when you moved to Memphis, you got that 2.0. Uh, at, you know, 2.0 new start, um, did you just go across the, you know, the actual street or to the house next to you, knock on the door and say, hey, my name is Kimon Hines. And um, I, I just, you know, want to tell you that I'm your neighbor. And how did that, um, how did that actually take place from you getting to meet your community, inviting them into your space, into your rhythm of life, and then getting your your church that would become the journey, perhaps your core uh, group, whoever it was, your launch team, however, whatever words that we want to use, how did that, you know, trajectory come to be? So you moved to Memphis, you have Mm -hmm. this new conviction, this new way of life. You don't just want to be a professional spiritual person. How did that translate into your rhythm of life? And what were the actual changes that took place? And 
if you can share a couple of you know a couple of stories that of of how that took place because obviously now you're knocking on doors you're you're speaking with people you're inviting them into your space and um you know maybe give me a story of success but also because we often hear stories of success but you know perhaps some of the challenges along the way as well sure sure well you know moving here uh we came in the summer and so summer is a a time that we can really take advantage of because people are outside for various reasons. They're outside because your children are playing. They're outside because they're mowing your lawn. They're outside just because the weather is so great. Why stay inside? And some of the things that we were intentional about was being outside as a family, hmm. as our, it was our children, because our children were some of the, they were better missionaries than I, than we were. <laughs> um, so they interacted with the children in the neighborhood, with our neighbor's children. And by them building those relationships, it allowed us to then follow up and to meet the parents of these children. Okay. And early on, when we got here, my daughter's birthday is right around August. August, I'm sorry. No, it is August the 18th. Get that right so, now. <laughs> yeah, no. I meant to say it was right around the time of her birthday. And another neighbor was having a birthday celebration for his daughter. Oh, okay. And what we said is, let's go and enjoy the celebration there. Now, this is going to sound a little bit controversial. The party was on a Saturday afternoon. So it was still Sabbath Mm -hmm. and we were invited. And I will tell you, as someone who has been raised Adventist, I have turned down more party invitations than you can count. Mm -hmm. I'm not one that just runs the party. But we said, if we are being invited to a celebration and we are missionaries, then we this is the language of our community. And we need to reach across and speak that language of celebration. Our kids went to the party. They jumped up in the bouncy house. They interacted with those children and they built a bridge. And while they were doing that, we had some time to talk to the parents and to engage with them as friends. And those people became some friends to us where they would invite us over. Um, to, at times, we've gone out with them as a couple. So just simply engaging in a celebration mm-hmm. that was taking place in our community helped us to build a bridge. Um, I'll share one more story. Please. That b- beyond just being a part of a celebration was there. One of the things I recognize, which is weird, is that even though these people had lived around each other for years, many of them did not know each other, did not know one another. And so we found it an opportunity for us to pull others together. And so we hosted something called um, like a summer cool down. We, we got a sprinkler. We got a little water, water slide. And we invited neighbors to our yard to come together. Okay. And that was a wonderful way of getting our neighbors to meet one another. And we saw that as a way for us to, to be connectors, to to bring into this community something that was lacking, which was just connections and, you know, friendships. And so that was some of the, those were some of the steps we took right off the bat in order to, to be good neighbors and to, to live out what it means to be the church. Okay. Beautiful yeah. stories, wonderful stories of just, as you're saying, just, just living the life in community and using your own rhythms of life to get to meet people that, are, that you're surrounded with. Um, so how did that now translate um, into starting, um, you know, journey and how perhaps along with those 
wonderful stories of meeting people. What were some of the challenges along the way and how did you overcome them as now you're, you're engaging others to live this life, this, this new way of living that you're uh, talking about? So how did, how did that transpire over now as you're looking to lead others into this new way of life to hopefully tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that we have? Um, and mm-hmm. in, in, in your area and in the rhythms of life of the others that are coming along with you on this journey to start journey. How did that yeah. look like some of the challenges and how did you overcome them? Yeah, we, you know, um, when, when, when we were called to move here to Memphis, um, the news of a church plant preceded us. So there were some people who were interested. Oh, I want to be a part of it. I want to join what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was quick, it was quick, it was, it was not, it didn't take us long to realize that many people were coming with their own ideas of what church, this church was going to be. Mm. They wanted to recreate something they'd seen before, something in another city, something um, that they had been blessed by before in their life. Mm-hmm. And so when we tried to integrate them into this new way of, okay, okay, we're going to have a worship gathering, but right now we're building relationships in our community. Um, we didn't lose people along the way. And there's some people who had competing visions. I think one of the greatest challenges for us in the city of Memphis is just that the people that we have, who have embraced the life of, of what this means, we live so far apart from each other. Hmm. And so what would be ideal, what, what I think would be ideal would be us connecting in community in areas where we both all live close to one another. But that hasn't happened as much as we would like it to, to be. And that that's probably a reality of just city living, that people right. live very spread out from each other. Um, I, I will say another challenge for us um, of just living missionally is just that lives are busy. Correct. Um, and so even for myself, I have to always almost have a time of reminding myself, okay, we, we need to re-engage. Because for me, the thing that can take up the most of my time is church activity, church mm-hmm. meetings, uh, visitation. And then I'm getting to the point where I've put, put out so much energy in dealing with people who are already um, convinced, convicted, um, committed. I don't have time to engage as much in my community. Mm. That, that last part is pretty powerful when, when you say that, you know, you and I would venture to say that many that are listening or that will listen um, have had that same experience. Right. Where they have spent so much time listening to, as you said, what did you say? Convinced, convicted and committed. And sometimes yeah. the committed part is committed to trying to get you to commit to their agenda. Right. right? right. Um, right. That that you you spend so much time and effort and energy in that. That by the time we get home, we actually, let's be honest, we want to, we want to close the garage door. And for some of us, right or wrong, we just want to watch ESPN and just, just Uh watch the, I don't know, the news or something, or just read a book off to the side because we've spent so much energy on that. With that said, what does it look like when I go to the journey and how do I, how am I going to get involved in the missional intentionality? that we've been talking about here for the last several minutes. Uh-huh. Is my, is my question clear on that? Oh, yeah. 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 So let me, let me, let me give you a little bit what we are about, um, how we are trying to 
train and empower people for missional intentionality, as you as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things we believe is in modeling what that looks like. Um, let me let me take you take you on, I guess, the journey. Then, okay. if you were to show up at one of our worship gatherings, um, we meet on a Sabbath afternoon at a local community center, and that community center. Um, there are a lot of different events that go on at the same time. Um, people will have birthday parties, graduations, um, anniversary celebrations, all at the same time. And we have our space in the gym where we have our worship. And that was important for us because we wanted to be in a place where people would bump into us. People would find a worship gathering where they normally would come for things um, that were important and interesting to them. And I think part of us doing our worship gathering there is to model for our members mm-hmm. that engagement in community. We wanted to model, um, not just go away to another building that we could have rented. We wanted to be somewhere to show this is what engagement looks like. Um, and as a result, it's in, it's been interesting for us that we have had a couple individuals, uh, one young man in particular, who have walked into our worship gathering thinking that it's the gym. Mm. I can come just like any other day. Yeah. And he has become a part of our church family. Wow. Others have come and worship, but he has become a part of our church family. So that's one of the things that we do at Journey. Uh, we model through that. Mm-hmm. We are also engaging in small groups um, so that our small groups can be a way for our members in their homes mm-hmm. to invite people that they have been making relate, building relationships with to now be a part of the journey community and the journey family. Let, let me ask yeah. you, if I can interject here, a follow-up question. Um, this is episode 16. And, and as I've interviewed several pastors in, in different you know areas um, on this podcast, as well as, you know, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to, to speak to so many churches, so many pastors in so many areas, uh, particularly obviously here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Small groups is is still a big con- topic of conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I, I have not seen a a um, worshiping community that isn't growing in missional intentionality that isn't involved in some kind of small group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, how does yours actually work? If I can just say it that way, how does that look like? Like, if I say I'm coming into the worship gathering. Let's say I'm that guy uh, that you mentioned that came in there to play basketball and he started, you know, going to the worship gathering. Well, how do I get involved in one of those small groups? Do you have leaders that you meet with? Um, Mm -hmm. Is it kind of just whoever wants to start a small group? Um, So is it really, you know, actually structured? Uh, Give us a little bit of details. Sure, sure. So I'm going to this is probably one of those um, transparent moments that I can tell you that small groups is something that we have worked on and are working on to make it better. Okay. Um, our first foray into small groups, we started off meeting in homes before we started having worship gatherings. So we started off with small group community. Mm-hmm. And as we grew to start having worship gatherings, the challenge became um, getting people to commit to two things because they were already doing the worship gathering. So we said, okay, we're going to reboot that and start having our small groups meet once a month in various parts of the cities on Friday nights. And they were called First Friday Celebrations. We started with about three of those. And people would, we would announce it. We would let you know the areas. And 
one Friday a month, people would meet in a home um, for meal for a meal, for a time of discussion of the Bible, and for prayer and sharing. Okay. And that went well for a while. And then we recognized that our groups grew down from three to two, two to one. And there's one that is going and it's going very well. Mm-hmm. And then as we started realizing, you know, the need for more community, there are two things that we realized. Once a month is not enough for us to build the kind of community that we're looking for in mm-hmm. terms of small group interaction. Mm-hmm. So we have, we took our leaders, our elders through training this summer where they met in each other's homes every week to sort of model and to, to kind of work it out, work out the kinks of you live in so many different places. How does it work? And they liked it. And so it's actually starting it within the next few weeks. We are launching it where we're going to start with three groups, allow people to decide which group they're going to go to. You'll have groups that meet for six or eight weeks, and then they'll take a break and then come back again for six to eight weeks. And that's our relaunch of what our groups will look like. But we just felt like we needed more, more connection than just meeting once, once yeah. a month. Well, I appreciate your transparency and that this is something that you've been working on. So it started one way you assessed. Um, it perhaps didn't work out. And I mean, that happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the beauty of what I'm hearing you say is, is the fact that you assessed it and that, you're, that you didn't get discouraged, but you found a way to improve it. And yeah. that's where you guys are now. And, and um, what I have often heard as well is that normally every group has to have a strong leader, even mm-hmm. though it's, it's not about the leader, but it has to have a strong leader. Is that something that you're noticing as well? Yeah, I'm realizing that there is a need for training and um, continual, um, tr- you know, mentoring of our leaders. Right. Because the one thing that keeps a group going is someone who is committed to it, Correct. who makes sure you're checking on everyone, who's pastoring that group. Mm-hmm. Because people people's lives get so busy and so entangled that you need to check on them. You need you need someone who is who is making sure that they're it's focused on the right thing. We're not just here for a lot of head knowledge. No, we're here to, to grow in relationship with each other as we're growing in our relationship with God. So leadership is very important, I believe, and I've seen in a small group. I appreciate that. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit from the mm-hmm. journey, but perhaps not too much because I have a feeling, and you can, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, that what we're about to talk about now has come a lot from your journey. Mm-hmm. And that's that uh, our, our friends here, though, my friend here, Kimon, as, as those that are uh, that will be listening, has written a book. He has written a book. You, you are one of those now. You are on Amazon and you can say I've written a book. Um, and uh, not everybody can say that, though. There's, of course, uh, uh, you know, millions of books on on Amazon. But now you're one of those and your name yeah. is there. And um, uh, I want to have, give you an opportunity to tell us. Um, what is the book about? I'm going to give the title. The, the uh, title is This is Church, and the U and the R are capitalized in church, uh, where you fit in. So this is church, where you fit in. So what led you to write the, to you know actually write the book? And though I gave the title, what is the book about? Sure. Okay. So you, you are correct in what you were saying, that the, the book came from my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I shared earlier, I was that person who church was an event for me in a building. Hmm. I would go to church. I would engage with the people at the church. I would tell them what to do and I would go home and then I would live, you know, not like I was living an immoral life. I was just living a detached life from people around me. Hmm. And I recognized that. And when I got here to both um, Overton Park and when we started journey, one of the things I was, I've, I've prayed and asked God is don't let me live that life again, but don't let me allow my members to live that life. And so we started a teaching our church members, okay, let's fix, let's engage. And, and as you know, as a pastor, one of the main ways for teaching a new way of living is through preaching it. Right. It's through preaching. And so we did a sermon series maybe about three or four years ago called I Am, I Am the Church. Okay. And that sermon series helped to give me even some clarity as to what the church is. And so from that sermon series, God allowed me to take those sermons and put them into a book. Um, for those who will pick this up, because you will, um, it's not a long book, it's not a thick book, but I believe it has some very powerful principles in it. So the book really just goes through what the church is. It redefines what church is because when many people hear the word church, um, unfortunately, our view of it is so limited. It's actually really sometimes off base. We think a building. Oh, are you going to church? And we think the building. Or how was church? That's the question people ask you. <laughs> how was church? As if it were a movie that we, wa- we were watching and you wonder, did it get five stars or four stars? And church, in both of those definitions, is something apart from myself. Hmm. And so I'm allowed to stand on the outside and critique church as if I were not a part of it. Well, this book is calling us back to embracing that I am the church. We are the church collectively. And so because I am the church, I have a responsibility. I have a role. I have purpose in what this thing called church is. Mm, wonderful, wonderful, powerful. Um, I, I, I encourage anybody to um, buy the book and go to Amazon or wherever it is. Is it only on Amazon? Just to, let's go ahead and promo it's the on, book here. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Nobles. And it's on my website, KimoneHines.com. Okay. So uh, go ahead and um, even though I'm going to repeat it in the in um, the um, the intro and um, give us the website there. How do you spell KimoneHines.com sure. for those who may not? Yeah, my name is not the easiest. So Kimon is K-Y-M-O-N-E-H-I-N-D-S dot com. So Kimon, K-Y-M-O-N-E, Hines, H-I-N-D-S dot com. Dot com. Okay. And it's uh, $7.99 and I encourage people to, uh, uh, you know, buy it. And for those that are listening, um, when you listen to this podcast, um, if you are the first person to email me at javier.diaz at floridaconference.com, and I have to correct them, you know, make sure that people know that Javier is with a J and not an H. And so J-A-V-I-E-R dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z at floridaconference.com. We will send you that book for free. So if oh. you just um, are the first person to email me when you're hearing this, whoever that may be, and I get that email from you, I will send you the book absolutely free. So um, because we think it is important. Now, in that title, after mm-hmm. you gave the definition, your definition of uh, church, right, um, it says where you fit in. So I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, 
how do you feel that you guys, and we kind of have already been speaking about it, but how are you creating a place where everyone can fit in? Because that's a big part of your title. So you give a definition of the church, that the, you know, church is us, as you were explaining, but then you, you add where you fit in. So mm-hmm. how are you creating the spaces in your rhythm of life and also in the worship gathering where honestly still sometimes it's where people begin their experience. And I know there's some debate on that uh, for some, but there are people who still, they, they, they say, hey, come with me to church. You know, it's hard to stop that lingo, right? Because it's been used for so long. For, and you're, we're, we're, we all know that we don't go to church. The church comes together and gathers together. Right. But with that said, again, how are you, how do you feel that you're creating these spaces where people can fit in? Sure. So we, we feel um, there are a few things we are trying to do and they fall under our mantra. If you come to journey, worship gathering, you will hear us repeat this over and over. We're about three things, eat, pray, love, eat, pray, love. And I think living out those habits for me, or what it means to be church. Eat, it, it symbolizes everything that we do to share life together. Mm-hmm. So our journey worship gatherings are set up where we sit in round tables, and that's intentional. We have snacks on the table. And the purpose of that is, as a part of our worship gathering, there's a time in the beginning where we ask, you a, we ask some questions where you have to talk with the people around your table. Mm. And then at the end of the message, there's another time where you talk and you discuss what you've heard. And we want to be clear that what's happening is not just people watching the same event happen on stage, but you are here with other people. You are sharing life. Mm-hmm. You are, when you leave, you would have known someone else that you were sat next to or sat around a table better. So we are modeling that. We, we are eating. We're sharing life together. Pray is all the things we do to seek God together. Um, it's our time of corporate prayer. It's us listening to the message. Um, it's us meeting even in our homes and praying for each other. But pray is where we seek God together. And then love is where we serve others together. And as a part of what our journey setup is, once a month, we seek to do something hands-on to serve our community. So we have done different donation drives. We've collected canned goods. We've collected clothes for a mission. And what we say is we want everyone to bring something and then everyone to be a part of putting that something together to go out to someone. But we want it to be very participatory. That's our word. Mm-hmm. We want when you come, you're not just a spectator. You're an active participant. But then we also recognize there's some limitations even to that model. So that's why we are we are committed to small groups. We're not good at it yet, but we're committed because even in our worship gathering, everyone isn't able to be known as much and everyone isn't able to connect as much. And so we think a vital part of us um, allowing everyone to fit in is allowing people to be in smaller settings where they grow in deeper, deeper community. So I'm clearly hearing you say that, and I'm clearly seeing uh, by, by what I've seen online and in our conversation now, uh, the intentionality. So you've purposely made your worship gatherings to be, as you mentioned, participatory through the eat, pray, love model um, mm-hmm. by the way that you've arranged the environment. Um, yes. And um, 
as well as, of course, as we have spent some time talking about small groups and improving those because the well-known statement by Andy Stanley and many that hear this podcast know of Andy Stanley um, is that circles are better than rows, as he says. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard that statement before, but circles are better than rows. And I mentioned that before um, and talking in the previous podcast with uh, Pastor Randy Roberts from La Melinda. And it's just an ongoing aspect that I'm hearing more and more churches, whether a big church like Loma Linda um, or um, a, a a new church plant. Um, mm-hmm. Just this just seems to be the running theme that mm-hmm. you know small groups is very powerful, but there is a way of of doing it in a in a way that is effective and it's actually really intentionally growing community as opposed yeah. to just something that's happening. Um, and of course, the worship gatherings intentionally being built in a way as best as we can, right? As you as you can to be participatory with the model of eat, pray, and love. So right. that's a that's just a wonderful um, thing that you are doing there, and in, in the way that God is blessing um, people. People like numbers, and so I have to ask, uh, what is uh, what is what did you start with? What is the attendance now at the worship gatherings and the how do you feel that I know you're just starting, you just mentioned that, but how do you feel that the participation in the small groups is going? Okay. Um our our attendance um right now is right around forty to forty five individuals. Okay. Um and we probably started right around thirty, thirty five. So our growth has not been huge as as much as we would like. In fact I thought we would have been further along by this stage, but I've recognized that based on our setup, based on the time that we meet, um, we have not been able to, excuse me, we have not been able to attract as many Adventists to a new church plant Hmm. as typically happens in a church plant. You know, you know, for those listening, um, a church, a new church comes, there are many who, will feel, oh, this is a new start. This is something exciting. Right. So you attract some some more um, believers. And those they, they help. This is not a knock on that at all because sure. you need people who are um, committed and who understand um, how, how the administration and worship and those things function. But it has forced us to be intentional in reaching our community. So even though our number there isn't a lot, I think our impact in our community has been greater than a church typically our size. Hmm. Um, we have partnered with our, our community center to host a camp for children in the summer. Um, we've partnered with our local middle school to give them school supplies. Hmm. And just last year, we did a food drive uh, with Stop Hunger Now that's now Rise Against Hunger. And we had over 100 volunteers, people wow. from our high school, a local Camaro club, um, people from our just different parts of our community, we were able to pull together for this food drive. And so what it has taught us is even though we have not been able to gather as big a number in our worship gathering, mm-hmm. we still have to be committed to those three, those three things, eat, pray, love, and particularly the love, serving others together so that we make an impact. We are living as good neighbors in this community. Mm-hmm. I think you also asked me a little bit about our small groups. Our small groups have not, we probably average about 15 to 20 in our, 15, let's say 15 in our small group. 
we want to get that number up and engage more people in our small group. So I know that for many people, that's great. That's about half. But we're, we, we, we have as an ideal that all of our members will see our small group as church, as much as church, as they typically look at the worship gathering as church. Well, you know, Kimon, I think, Kimon, I, think I, I firmly I, I believe, firmly believe that in, in what you're saying and how you're putting it, that it's powerful because we often hear just great success stories, however people want to determine success, about quote-unquote new church plants. But yours confirms that uh, the Lord is blessing you guys, but um, overall, it takes a lot of work, right? A lot of consistency. It's yeah. not something you just wake up and do for a little while. I mean, you are all in and you are continuously assessing, reevaluating, working with your leaders, um, just like we're, we've been pounding the small groups issue, but also how you've been intentional with your worship gatherings and then reaching the you know community with what you just mentioned you're doing. We, we, we have to stress church mm-hmm. planting is a lot of work if, yes. if, if we are all in. And um, one of the one of the questions within our community of faith, and I know that there are, is some who may be listening to our podcast that are not necessarily directly with our community of faith. And this podcast is for everybody to listen and hopefully uh, be able to um, gather something to restore the mission, restore the vision, restore the church, which is our mantra. Um but within, within our community of faith, one of the things that I often hear in different you know, circles, particularly with new church plants, is, is the quote-unquote Adventist message being spoken about, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. what I often hear. Are we getting our, some of our distinctive belief? Are those coming in to the worship gathering and our worshiping communities within the small groups? Uh, do they know who... We are, as some people may say. Are you following my line of you know oh, questioning here? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, again, this yeah. is this is more related within, but I want to put it out there. I mean, I always talk about this podcast that we want to put everything we can on top of the table when we have these conversations. So when people come in, for example, one one aspect that um, sometimes we're asked, okay, so when people come and they come on, say, a Saturday evening at five o'clock. Um, at some point, and you've been now doing this specifically with the uh, monthly or weekly worship, you said for the last three years, correct? Is that what I'm... So you know? worship, worships, worship gatherings for three years, but two years of weekly. So Weekly, two weekly. years. So, yeah. so in, in those years, some may ask you, and maybe you've already had this kind of questioning, and I just thought we'd just talk about mm-hmm. it just for a few moments. Sure. The people come, do they eventually know, hey, this is, a, a, this is part of the Seventh-day Adventist church uh these these people worship on sabbath because um mm-hmm. let me further um enhance you on what we believe and why we believe so again for those again we get all kinds of people that listen to our our podcast mm-hmm. and so yeah. i'm asking this question putting it out there and yeah. uh, kind of putting you on the spot there but but you're smiling so i'm glad about that so what what are your <laughs> thoughts about that this is a great question and it's an important question um So I'm going to tell you our approach and the reason for our approach. Mm -hmm. Our approach is not the approach. There may be different approaches to this. Um, Within our name, when you walk in, it says Journey Fellowship Church. Mm -hmm. Now, for some, that may take them aback that we don't have in our name Journey Fellowship Seventh-day Adventist. But the philosophy we have behind it is that this is a fellowship 
for all people. Okay. It is a fellowship for all. Amen. But it is hosted by a Seventh-day Adventist group. So it is a fellowship for all. The reason we don't put Seventh-day Adventists in the name is because in many people's mind, if it were to say Journey Fellowship Seventh-day Adventist, they would take that to mean this group, this gathering is only for Adventists. And because I am not one yet, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm. That was just our, we were intentional because what we wanted to, to ensure is that there were not barriers to people even being exposed to our message because the name on the banner or the name on the door said to them, this isn't for you. Mm. And so our name is Journey Fellowship. And we invited people in. Now, um, as a part of our teaching and preaching, we expose people to what we believe are the, the important S's of the Seventh-day Adventist message. Salvation, which we believe is the most important thing. We are saved by grace through faith in our Savior, Jesus. And we expose people to that. Because I think for many who might listen to this, we don't recognize just how much that isn't, um, we almost take that for granted, but that's mm. not, that's not um, as well known in our communities, in our cities, as we may think. Then we expose them to Sabbath. We did a series called Lost Day and told people, not just it's the right day, but man, here's the beauty of this thing, that you get to rest in God's finished work. Amen. And so we've taught people the Sabbath, we're teaching them about the state of the dead and the hope of the second coming. And as a part of that journey, as we have taken people along a little slower than you would in um, places where people know the Bible, um, we had a membership covenant and a commitment service where people stepped over the line and said, I want to be a part of this. And so I agree with not just the beliefs because we went through the beliefs, but I agree with the mission of this church. Hmm. And so people who join know they're joining an Adventist church. People who come may not always know that they're worshiping at an Adventist church, but I don't think that's any different than what we do in our evangelistic series, where we host them in a hall yeah. and just simply call them. To, so our thing is our worship gathering is meant to be for all. And then we move you through the steps of understanding what it means to be a part of our denomination. Well, I appreciate, again, I appreciate uh, transparency, clearly stating how you guys do things and um, in your context. And it's just, uh, it's a question and I appreciate being willing to answer that and how you guys do it there. Uh, it's a question I've gotten at times um, in, in my role of being able to be in different church plants in different areas in the church. And sometimes people ask, well, you know, again, this is within our community of faith. Are they teaching X, yeah. right? And we say, yes, they are. And as you say, but they're doing it and approaching it in a different way, maybe a bit slower, mm -hmm. but they're doing it. And, and mm -hmm. that's the key is that they're doing it. Sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes, sometimes the people that are asking these questions, if we really look and ask them, they mm -hmm. may not be doing it. They're just asking if the others are doing it. Are you following me? Are you oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. So, oh, yeah. And, you know, to anyone, to anyone who has a question, we are quite open to saying, come and see. We have had our conference administration come and their view of what it would be like when they got there was different than when they arrived, but they got it. And I think for people, um, 
I think what it shows when you come to a worship gathering like ours or you're exposed to a place that is being intentional about reaching people who do not have our understanding. You don't just, it's not about the setup. It's about the people you meet and the stories of the people you meet. Mm -hmm. And you begin to realize God is at work here, reconciling people to himself. Praise the Lord. I got, I got one question for sure, maybe two. Uh, but what would you say, Kimon, is the is the greatest lesson you've learned through your ministry, through this journey experience and um, not only planting the journey, but perhaps also in writing the book? And I guess, you know, they're you know, perhaps one and the same, as you've mentioned before. So what what is perhaps some of the greatest lessons you've learned? One or two? Sure. I think the greatest lesson I'm, I've learned and I'm learning is. Um, to be patient as God does his work, um, both in people who belong to our church and in people who we are seeking to bring along. Hmm. Because I am naturally one, just like those you might've talked about. I want the results. I want the numbers. I want to see things done. But I'm learning that God has been patient with me and that God is is at work. You know, what, what is so interesting is that we don't see the work of God's spirit Hmm. in the lives of of people, but we trust that and we need to trust that. And I think I'm learning. God is still in control of the church. God is still in control of his mission of the church to advance his kingdom in the world. And I'm trusting that even when I don't see it, God is at work. Even when I don't see what God is doing in my community, God is at work. And my role is to join him and to be patient as I watch what God is doing. And I think for, for those who might be listening to this, um, we are in a results-driven environment. And sometimes because of that, we try to artificially manufacture success instead of moving with God's spirit and allowing God to work in human hearts and, and to see that, that the fruit that God really wants to develop. Wonderful. Thank you. That's that's extremely powerful. And uh, it's it's making me really think, too, because you're right. We're, we're so driven and um, in a results oriented word. I mean, results oriented world that uh, we we can get whatever we want pretty quick. Right. Any information that we need, we famously just Google it. Right. Um, and we just grab our phones and we can just do whatever, get whatever information um, we want. But that isn't necessarily the, the case, as I'm hearing you say, in your experience or in most experiences when it comes to the work of God. Um, it is to be patient, as you said, is what I'm hearing you say. And mm-hmm. that in that in that patience, God is absolutely working, even when it seems sometimes that God is not working. He actually is working. Right. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could share one thing from my book that I, I feel can help pastors and churches. I have come to realize that the role of the church isn't to grow the church. Hmm. I'm going to say that, let it be provocative and sit there for a minute while it's uncomfortable. Hmm. I've learned the role of the church isn't to grow the church, but I've learned the role of the church is to advance the kingdom of God. Hmm. And as we seek his kingdom, God takes the responsibility of adding to the church. God takes the responsibility of growing the church. So we advance his kingdom. God told us 
Jesus told us how to live out the kingdom, mm-hmm. um, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Jesus told us to share the gospel into all the world. So there are places we can't go, but that we can send resources to advance the kingdom. And there are human hearts that we can reach for him and we advance the kingdom. And as we do that, God adds to the church. Mm. God adds to the church. And that takes a lot of pressure off of us. A lot of pressure that some pastors are carrying and churches are carrying. But if they would simply advance God's kingdom, God has promised that he would add to the church. Praise the Lord, Kimon. I appreciate those encouraging words, and I hope that they're encouraging to those that will be listening. Um, and I think it's a good way to start uh, closing our conversation that I've been truly blessed to um, be able to ask and these you know, questions and um, listen to your journey. Um, we appreciate and we thank you for writing the book. Um, I've, I've, on a personal note here, sometimes I'll, I'll throw this out. You know, people have asked me to write a book. But the kind of book that they want me to write, I say, you know, there may be some people that have to die before I write the book. So I, I don't know because I'd have to give a lot of pseudonyms and all that kind of stuff. But I appreciate that as God put it in your heart that um, you you put it on paper. And um, if I can say it that way in this uh, digital world that we live in today and it's out there where everybody can um, you know, buy it. And again, I want to promote it and let people purchase that book. and. Along those same lines, though, of uh, putting out content, um, you also hold, host your own podcast. Yeah. So I am all for promoting podcasts. We should promote all kinds of podcasts that are be, you know, actually beneficial in so many different ways. People know that I'm a podcast you know, junkie. I listen to leadership podcasts, uh, you know, different you know, preachers and uh, non-Christian podcasts as well, all kinds of stuff. So tell us. Uh, what's the name of your podcast and what is it about and um, so that people can know about it? Sure. The name of my podcast is Ideas to Life, mm-hmm. and it is simply helping people to come up with new ideas and take them, take them from the process, uh, take them through the process of um, how you move from idea to implementation. And so we tell stories. We interview people who have done just that, come up with new things in the area of business, in ministry in even making uh, social change. And so uh, we've interviewed people all the way from pastors like Ty Gibson, Myron Edmonds, mm-hmm. to um, people who are um, a radio um, a ra- radio DJ and personality, Willie Moore Jr., to a young man by the name of Mosiah Bridges, who started a company um, selling bow ties at nine years old mm. and now has a contract with the NBA to do bow ties for them. He was on Shark Tank, so some people might have seen him. Sure. And there's stories all the way along. There are people, the guy who started Stop Hunger Now, the guy who started, the lady who started an agency to combat sex trafficking and um, sexual exploitation. So we have those stories on there. And what the goal of this podcast is that you will find inspiration from it to pursue what God has put on your heart. I love it. I love it. So it's called Ideas to Life, and they can uh-huh. find it on uh, Google Play iTunes, and iTunes, Stitcher, and yeah. Awesome. Um, so, Kimon, one last very in-depth question. I mean, this is extremely profound question, and I'm not sure if uh, you'll have the time to answer it. But right now, as we're recording this episode, um, it's almost lunchtime. 
at least for both of us. You're on central time, so maybe not as much as it is for me. It's almost noon here for myself. So what are you having for lunch today? And what is your favorite food? Okay. So what I'm having for lunch today, my daughters who are now 13 and 11, they cooked yesterday. Oh, okay. My 11 year old is actually developing into quite a chef. So they made spaghetti and, um, well, I guess it's like crumbles. Like if you're vegetarian, it's like, what is it? Ground beef. But they, they kind of made this spaghetti sauce with it, with that in it. And my wife and I didn't eat any of it yesterday. So I've been longing to get mine today. There you so go. that's what I'm looking forward to eating okay. for lunch. And I'm going to tell you my favorite food. And if you try it, it will become your favorite food. <laughs> so it's roti. It's not roti. Ro- roti. And if you live in Florida, you need to find a Trinidadian restaurant and go there and get it. And it will change your life. You will call me. You will send me an email. You will thank me for allowing you to experience heaven on earth. (laughs) I will, uh, you know, I will definitely try to do that. I will look for a Trinidadian restaurant, if I said that correct, and look for roti. Roti. I don't don't think I've, uh, you know, obviously here in Florida, I've, I've, I've had Haitian food, obviously yeah. Jamaican food, every single Hispanic food you, you could imagine. Obviously, my wife and I are Hispanic. I'm Cuban. She's Nicaraguan. So we've, we've had a feast there and, and everything. But I, have, I can't recall wow. that I've had roti. So yes. for those listening, you've heard it from Pastor Kimon Hines that if you try <laughs> this, you will thank him yes. because it will become your favorite food. It will uh, change your life. It'll change your life. So that, my friend, may be an idea that comes to life for many yeah. people. But uh, anyhow, Kimon, thank you so much for um, being on the uh, on the Restore podcast where, again, our desire is that through these conversations, those that will listen, uh, whether they're in leadership specifically or whether they're desiring to just help in any which way to restore, restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church to what God has called it to be and i hope that this would be i know that those that will listen it would be beneficial to them so thank you for being on the podcast thank you thank you for having blessings to you well i hope that you have been blessed and inspired by listening to pastor kimon hines and i want to thank him again for taking up his time to share with us if you want to connect with him uh, you can do so at uh, twitter his uh, handle is k-y-m-o-n-e-h-i-n-b-s And you can also connect with him at facebook.com slash Pastor Hines. And again, I encourage you to listen to his podcast at Ideas, Ideas to Life. I promised uh, to send his book to the first person that emails me. So make sure you do so at Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R dot D-I-A-Z at floridaconference.com. And hopefully um, I'll send you uh, his book. Of course, if you have any questions, ideas for an episode, feel free to also let me know. Blessings to all of you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.